Yo, what is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, in today's episode, we're going to be recapping all the college football action from week 11 of the 2022 college football season. And man, it feels weird that now we're officially 11 weeks through the college football year. I mean, we technically only have one more week, but some teams still have two more games left due to having a bye week, yada, yada, yada. But technically... We are pretty much almost done with the regular season as we have bowl season coming up here pretty darn soon. But anyway, guys, before we do be, before we do get into all of the action that we did have in week 11, I do want to first make sure and I want to make sure that y'all also as well like, comment, share, rate, do whatever you can to make sure that we continue to spread the Cover 7 podcast to everybody, their mom, grandma, uncle, sister brother cousin whatever make sure you tell them about the cover seven podcast so that we can continue to spread football news to everybody out there and guys like i always say here on the cover seven podcast before i before oh my lord let me give me give me two seconds i don't want to waste y'all's time and i don't want to waste my time either so let's get right into today's episode. So guys, this weekend was absolutely electric. We had so many great matchups. We had Alabama going down to Oxford to take on Ole Miss. We had number four ranked TCU in the college football playoff rankings finally getting the you know ranking they deserve, traveling down to Austin, take on the Longhorns, and so many more great games. But to kick it all off, as we kicked off, you know, not just week eleven, but week two of Maction Action. As we had, and you know, kick it all off on Tuesday, which you know we have games from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and then of course Saturday. But we got to kick it all, all the way back on Tuesday. And the first game that we're going to talk about on Tuesday to kick us off for Week 11 was going to be between the I, the I said Iowa, the Ohio Bobcats taking on Miami of Ohio Red Hawks. Now, Miami or not Miami of Ohio. The Ohio Bobcats are a really solid team. I like their offense. I said that their offense was just really solid to begin with, and that's why I said Miami, Miami of Ohio really didn't have a chance in this game. And, well, that was definitely the story as Curtis Rourke, the starting quarterback for the Ohio Bobcats, he would just go off against Miami of Ohio, 25 for 35, 363 yards passing with three touchdown passes on the day and didn't throw an interception. I mean, he balled out in this game as well. Ohio running back, let me look at his name real quick, Cy Bangura, and I'm so sorry if I mispronounced your name, I'm horrible at pronouncing names, but I'm pretty sure it's Cy Bangura, he would ball out in this game, the true freshman running back for the Bobcats, 20 carries for 145 yards rushing and one touchdown, and then also the Ohio Bobcats, they had a wide receiver in this game that just seemingly made so many sports center top 10 worthy plays in Jacoby Jones as Jacoby Jones on the day he wouldn't have an impressive stat line four receptions for 79 yards receiving and two touchdowns but man did he make an incredible catch in the end zone to give the Ohio Bobcats just a lead that I don't think Miami of Ohio could come back on as Ohio they would kick off week 11 with a W against Miami 37 to 21 as Ohio they now improved to seven and three in Miami of Ohio they now fall to four and six which I think is actually a better record than the University of Miami, the U, down in Miami, Florida. So, I mean, hey, if you're a Miami of Ohio fan, you're currently doing better than the quote-unquote better Miami. So, but anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to talk about, we're going to go over to Akron, Ohio, as we had the Eastern Michigan Eagles taking on the Akron uh, Zips. And, well, for the most part, this game really wasn't a contest. As after three quarters, Eastern Michigan, they led Akron. Let me do my math real quick. 31 to 14. I mean, honestly, 
Eastern Michigan really should have gone away with this game, but Akron would have a pretty strong fourth quarter, putting up two touchdowns, but Eastern Michigan, they would hold them off as the Mich Eastern Michigan Eagles, they would go on to beat Akron 34-28 to as they now become bowl eligible as they improve to 6-4 and on the year, and I think are only the second team in the state of Michigan to actually get bowl eligible, so if you're an Eagles fan, y'all are bowl eligible before the Michigan State Spartans, who may not even make a bowl game this year under that $90 million head coach. Mel Tucker, so at least there's that. And then for Akron, they now fall to 1-9 and and 0-6. And, and, man, I just hope they eventually find a way to be able to get over this huge hump that they're going through right now over in Akron, Ohio. But anyway, guys, the next game that we had, we had the Ball State Cardinals taking on the Toledo Rockets. And I think this was the more well-balanced game because obviously Ohio was a 10-time better, better team than Miami of Ohio. And then Eastern Michigan, obviously. I mean, any I think any team really is better than Akron. Maybe not Colorado, but you know any other any team in the FBS is probably better than than, than Akron. So, but um, in this game between Ball State and Toledo, you know it uh, wasn't as much scoring as I thought there'd be. I definitely thought there'd be a little bit more scoring because both teams do have pretty solid offenses. But in this game, the Ball State Cardinals they do have a pretty special uh, running back. You know, not just for his play on the field, in which he's really solid. I mean, on the night. He absolutely balled out and was pretty much Ball State's only source of offense as Carson Steele, the sophomore running back for the Cardinals, who already has over 1,000 rushing yards on the year and could potentially be a, a guy we see enter the transfer portal to get up to the Power 5 level. But Carson Steele on the night, he would have 28 carries for 198 yards rushing. I'm just going to give him the 200. And he also had three touchdowns as well, which were all three of Ball State's uh, touchdowns on the night. So, I mean, he really was their only source of offense in this game. And outside of that, Ball State just struggled heavily, you know, on offense outside of Carson Steele as uh, Paddock, their quarterback. He would go 13 for 35, 94 yards passing with zero touchdowns, and then one interception, which would ultimately end the game as Toledo would pick that off after scoring the game-winning touchdown. Um, Carson Steele, like I'll just kind of a little bit back to him, he has a pretty interesting story because not only is he a really cool uh, running back, he also has a pet alligator. He, has, he literally has a pet alligator. So I just thought that was really cool. I saw that on an ESPN broadcast, I think last week or something. But, yeah, I mean, he has a pet alligator. He's a really good running back. So it would be kind of cool seeing how his career goes down, you know, with the Cardinals. But for the Toledo Rockets, uh, I mean, they had a – I wouldn't say an amazing game offensively because they definitely didn't, but they were able to get into the end zone pretty much with only about, I think it was about a minute and a half left as Toledo. They would remain improving and over 500 as Toledo, and they also would win the Mac, uh, Mac, Mac West, I think it is, as Toledo. They would go on to beat Ball State to wrap up day one of Maction and day one of college football week 11, 28 to 21 as Toledo. They now improve to 7-3 and three on the year, and Ball State, they're still looking for that. They're still looking to be able to make a, a bowl game, as they now fall to five and four on the year. So good win for the Rockets, as they now improve to seven and three, and are looking pretty solid in the MAC. Probably looking to be able to compete with Ohio for a chance at the MAC championship. So, but anyway, guys, now let's get over to Wednesday slate of games, which is also day two of Maction and our final day of Maction. And the first game that I'm going to want to talk about is going to be between. The Kent State Golden Flashes traveling out to Bowling Green to take on the Bowling Green Falcons. And for me personally in this game, I mean, I looked at Kent State. They're 3-6, and six, you know, 
you know, one loss, they're completely out of even being any question about making a bowl game. And then for Bowling Green, they're five and four. They need one win. They're at home, which I think is their final home game of the year. So it made sense. Okay, you know what? Even though Kent State was, you know, favored minus three, I'm gonna roll with the Falcons. Well, have I ever regretted picking a team so much in my life? As in this game, Kent State would utterly dominate Bowling Green on defense. And Kent State also, too, which I didn't even think they had an offense. And when you look at a lot of their scores, they don't put up a ton of points. But in this game, they were clicking on all cylinders as they would go on to beat Bowling Green 40-6 to in this game. I mean, I didn't see it being a blowout. I thought if it was going to be a blowout, it would have been Bowling Green on Kent State. But once again, they call this Maction for a reason, and obviously there were a bunch of Maction things that went down. And, you know, since we're talking about Maction and everything like that, let's get over to Game 2 here on Wednesday Slated Games. And this game was just crazy all around as we had the Buffalo Bulls, not the Buffalo Bills, the Buffalo Bulls taking on the Central Michigan Chippewas as well in this game. I know I personally, I had Central Michigan winning this game. I like them at home. I like the fact that they still are alive in terms of being able to make a bowl game. Will they make a bowl game? Likely not. But in the, the fact of the matter is they had one of the best college football running backs in last season. They now had him in Lou Nichols. But Lou Nichols didn't even play in this game, and I didn't even realize that until right before you know the pregame stuff. They're talking about how he would not even be in this game. So I was kind of like, well, shoot. you know, That kind of eliminates the whole fact of – Okay, well, the run game is going to be non-existent, but the run game was far from even non-existent in this game. As Central Michigan, I think they finally found the solution at quarterback as they would go to their quarterback, who might be one of the best running quarterbacks in all of the NFL, not the NFL, one of the best running quarterbacks in all of college football, Burt Emanuel Jr. As Burt Emanuel Jr. on the night would have 265 rushing yards on the night and also would have two rushing touchdowns with one of those being what I'm going to probably say is the best run of the season. I mean, he looks really good tonight. I think Central Michigan, who's been kind of exploring around with three different quarterbacks, two have been pretty good rushers, one being a passer. I think they finally have found their solution at quarterback. And then for Buffalo, they had a 24-7 to lead going into halftime. I mean, I quit watching this game because I thought Buffalo was just going to literally run away with this game as Buffalo. They were running the football pretty effectively against the Chippewas, but the Chippewas in the second half, they came out super electric as they would match Buffalo's 17 points in the second quarter with 17 points of their own in the third. And then finally, Central Michigan, they would get the lone touchdown and the lone points in the fourth quarter as they would go on to come back and beat the Buffalo Bulls 31-27 to as Central Michigan... Their bowl eligibility hopes are still alive as they now improved to four and six, but they do have to win out. And then for Buffalo, once again, they're still very much alive in terms of being able to make a bowl game as they now fall to five and five. So, and I mean, Maxion was already crazy. I mean, both of these two games were com just complete and utter chaos. And then this final game that we're going to talk about on Wednesday slate in our final game of Maxion in week two, or well, week two of Maxion, week 11 of college football. Um, we're going to go over to Western Michigan up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, as we had the Northern Illinois Huskies taking on the Western Michigan Broncos. Now, for me, in this game, I went with Western Michigan. You know, both of these teams are not really good, right? I mean, we, we can get that out of the way. Both of these teams aren't going to make a bowl game, so it's really a pointless game to even talk a lot about. But um, the story of the matter was is that Northern Illinois – they were able to run the football really effectively. So was Western Michigan, and they were also able to throw the football pretty well, but mistakes would really cost Western Michigan at the end of the game 
as their quarterback, Borgay, he would get sacked what felt like 15 times on the final drive. You know, they drove down the field. I mean, I think they were on uh, the Huskies' 40-yard line, but penalties and then taking those huge sacks would ultimately set them all the way back. And then the Huskies' defense, which has been pretty bad this year, would step up when it mattered the most as the Huskies, they would get a dub up in Kalamazoo. 24 to 21 over the Western Michigan Broncos. So for me, I went one for two on day two of week 11. You know, I was perfect on day one, but in terms of day two, I would go one for two. Thankfully enough, Central Michigan, they helped carry me. So I did not go, you know, I did not get completely shut out. But anyway, Northern Illinois, they get a much needed win as they now improved to three and seven. And Western Michigan, they now fall to three and seven on the season. So. But anyway, guys, that'll wrap up Maction Action for Week 11. So now let's get over to Thursday's slate of games. And the first game that I want to talk about from Thursday is going to be between the Georgia Southern Eagles, who are led by former USC head coach Clay Helton, taking on the now Billy Napier-less Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Well, in this game, I thought I thought Georgia Southern, you know, considering they were one win away from being bowl eligible, Clay Helton's first season, you know, with the Eagles of Georgia Southern, I thought, hey, you know, what could go wrong here pick, picking Georgia Southern? Well, everything went wrong as Louisiana pretty much had Georgia Southern's number the whole entire night, especially in the second quarter when they put up 20 points on the Eagles as Louisiana, they would go, they would go on to beat Georgia Southern 36 to 17 as Louisiana their bowl eligibility hopes still are alive as they now improved to five and five on the year and then for Georgia Southern they're still trying to wait to get one more win as they as they will then become bowl eligible for the first time under Clay Helton so anyway guys the next game and the final game that we actually did have here on Thursday slate of games it was going to be a uh, AAC matchup as we had the Tulsa Golden Hurricane traveling out to Memphis to take on the Memphis Tigers. And this game got really chippy throughout the most part. I mean, they were like choke slamming each other, putting each other in choke holds. I mean, they, I didn't think this was much of a rivalry game, but the way how physical each team was playing, I mean, you couldn't have told the difference. But anyway, for the Memphis Tigers, their offense was really getting things going in the first half, not as much in the second, but sophomore quarterback Seth Hannigan, who's having a pretty good career so far with the Tigers after he was a really good quarterback in the state of Texas. He would go 21 for 35 on the night for 269 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. And Memphis, who, as we all know, has kind of become a running back factory. Daryl Henderson, who's with the Rams. Tony Pollard, who's with the Cowboys. Uh, Antonio Gibson, who's with the Washington Commanders. You know, they weren't really they weren't really able to run the ball as effectively in this game. But don't worry, Memphis was able to get it done through the air as junior wide receiver Javon Ivory, he would go off in this game against Tulsa secondary as he would have seven receptions for 123 yards receiving and one touchdown on the day. As Memphis's defense also deserves a ton of credit in this game because they did not allow Tulsa to get a single well, okay. I almost lied once again. Tulsa did get a touchdown in this game, but that Memphis defense pretty much suffocated them the entire game as Memphis, they would go on to beat the Tulsa Golden Hurricane 26-10. And what was a pretty sloppy game overall, but Memphis, they just defensively would dominate Tulsa in this game as they are now just one game shy of being able to be bowl eligible. So anyway, guys, that would wrap up all of our games from Thursday. So now let's get over to Friday's slate of games as we did finally have a Power 5 game as we had Colorado and USC. But before we do talk about that game, let's first talk about an AAC matchup that we had on Friday night that was actually one of the bigger games of the weekend. Didn't give really a lot of notoriety because there's not a lot of implications in this game. 
But we had the East Carolina Pirates taking on the Cincinnati Bearcats. And, well, for this game, Cincinnati had a lot on the line. I mean, not only a chance at an AAC championship appearance, but also, too, they had two of their former alumni at this game, Sauce Gardner, who's doing really good with the Jets right now. And is currently playing at a Pro Bowl level right now, and kind of looking, it's kind of starting to look like Darrell Revis 2.0, and you know also had Desmond Ritter, who's currently the backup quarterback for the Atlanta Falcons, and also helped Cincinnati, you know, to the college football playoff last year. But anyway, in this game, it was definitely a little bit of an offensive struggle for the most part. I mean, statistically wise, East Carolina probably did. 10 times better than, uh, you know, Cincinnati. I mean, Keaton Mitchell, the running back for East Carolina, who I'm really high on, and I think he'll probably end up transferring out at least here in a year or two to potentially like an SEC school or something. He played pretty good in this game, 16 carries for 112 yards with one touchdown on the day. Um, He would actually leave this game with an injury, so that is unfortunate, but overall, I mean, Kidd is going to be a stud, especially if he's going to continue to play in the American um, but also outside of that, I mean, Cincinnati's defense, they played really good in this game. I mean, despite not getting a sack at all, they were just able to keep getting East Carolina three and outs and, you know, not allowing them to really translate a lot of that into points. And so uh, at halftime, Cincinnati, they actually led 24-13. to 13 And, you know, I kind of quit watching this game because I assumed, okay, East Carolina, they're completely out of it. But East Carolina, they would put up 13 points in the third and make this game really interesting. But Cincinnati, they would get a game-winning field goal in the fourth as they would go on to beat the Pirates 27-25. to As Cincinnati, they now improve to 8-2 and on the year. In East Carolina, they now they now fall to 6-4. and But they're still bowl eligible, which, you know, Texas A&M fans, they really can't say so. But, <laughs> but anyway, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But... Um, for our next game that we had on Friday and the biggest game that we had on Friday, actually. And we're going to go out to the Pac-12 out west as we had Colorado taking on USC, or at the, t- the time, the eighth-ranked USC Trojans. And to start this game, USC's offense looked really shaky. Caleb Williams threw, his, threw only his second pick of the year as Colorado, after the first quarter, led USC by a score that I didn't think I would ever see, 3-2. to two. But USC, they got things going in the second quarter as they put up 24 points and Caleb Williams on the day. You know, he also got two of his best wide receivers and two of his best offensive producers in Mario Williams, the former Oklahoma wide receiver, and then Jordan Addison, the former Belenikoff winner over at Pitt. They both were back in this game. Um, Mario Williams didn't really play in this game. Jordan Addison would only have one catch on the day for two yards, so they weren't really any huge producers, but definitely... Definitely Caleb Williams was able to make a lot out of nothing as on the day Caleb would go 14 for 26, 268 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception. He had a couple and passes, but some, I mean, there's just some blatant drops by his wide receivers. So definitely something they're going to need to fix before their big time matchup with UCLA next week, you know, in the Battle of L.A. And then on the flip side for Colorado, you know, the defense played really good in the first quarter, and it looked like, okay, we might potentially have an upset on our hands, you know, in L.A. on Friday night. You know, the Coliseum looked almost dang near empty because, no offense, I don't think a lot of people are going to go to a USC and Colorado game on a Friday night. But anyway, outside of that, uh, just USC, they utterly dominated, especially in the second half when they had put up 29 points to Colorado's 14. But Colorado, they were able to put up 14 points in the second half. So, I mean, that is a bright spot for this Buffs team. But, you know, they're looking they're looking towards the future. You know, this season obviously was a scratch. The way it started, just, com- just completely how poor the defense was. I mean, statistically-wise, when you look at this game, there was nothing huge for U- USC. Rushing-wise, they only had 185 yards rushing. They did have three uh, three rushing touchdowns on the day. And then Caleb Williams, he would have three of those. But overall, I mean, I think USC, they really showed a lot of, you know, 
mortality in this game. Like they're not, you know, un, un, you know, undestructible. No one could do anything against them. We saw it against Utah, you know, when they went to Salt, Salt Lake City. But the fact that they struggled on, you know, struggled a little bit early against Colorado definitely is something to be concerned about, considering they are playing UCLA next week. So. But anyway, you know, the one major thing that I know USC fans are going to take out of this game is the fact that they lost, you know, their uh, well, former Oregon running back now at USC. Travis died. They lost him, actually, and he's probably going to be out for the year. He would get carted off the field with a leg injury, so hopefully everything is okay with him. But he would have to leave this game and probably will not play the rest of the year, which is going to be a huge drop-off in offensive production, especially in the running back room. So... But um, but anyway, guys. So USC, they will, they you know, they would get, they would get the win. I mean, it's hard not to beat Colorado, as they're going to beat Colorado, 55 to 17. As USC, they now improved to nine and one and are currently the front runners in the Pac-12. And then Colorado, they now fall to one and nine on the year. It's really, they're more looking towards the future and potentially finding who's going to be their next head coach for the next couple of years. So. Anyway, guys, that would wrap up all of our Friday games. We had Fresno State and UNLV. Fresno State, they would get the dub over UNLV, 37-30. to And what was kind of a pretty close game? I didn't think it would be as close as it was, but Fresno State is kind of having a drop year, which, I mean, obviously losing a head coach like Kalen DeBoer to Washington is a huge factor in that. But Fresno State, they would get the dub as they are down proved to 6-4 and four and now are bowl eligible. So if you're a Bulldogs fan, that's something to at least cheer about. So. Anyway, guys, that wraps up all of our midweek games. So now let's get over to Saturday. And this Saturday has definitely got to be one of the more chaotic weekends. I was down in Austin, Texas, so I wasn't able to watch all of the late, like late games and then middle of the day games. So forgive me if my quote-unquote analysis is not the absolute best. I tried to watch as much as I could, watch a lot of films. So just throwing that out there for y'all because, man, I'm just happy. And I'm so happy that my team got the you know win against Texas. But anyway, enough about that. Let's kick off our Saturday slate of games. Let's talk about some of the noon games that we had. And uh, the first game that I want to talk about is going to be up in Columbus, Ohio, as we had the Indiana Hoosiers taking on against C.J. Stroud, the Heisman hopeful right now, probably the Heisman front runner, and the second-ranked uh, second Ohio State Buckeyes. Now, the spread was something ridiculous. I think it was minus forty minus forty eight for Ohio State, which is absurd enough as it is. And obviously, they didn't get minus forty eight in this game. So if you bet under, which I hope you did, congratulations, you got you got some free money. But anyways, you know, let's actually talk about the game now. You know, C.J. Stroud just continued to do C.J. Stroud thing. Seventeen for twenty eight, two hundred ninety seven yards passing with five touchdowns and zero interceptions. I mean, you know, and the biggest thing to remember is he doesn't have Jackson Smith, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I mean, Marvin, Marvin, Marvin Harrison Jr. I'm sorry, I'm just, you know, as y'all all know, I'm horrible when it comes to names. I always butcher it for some reason. Marvin Harrison Jr., I mean, he's emerged as arguably probably the Belenik, the Belenikoff front runner, probably a little bit over Jalen Hyatt right now. But um, regardless, still a really solid wide receiver room at Ohio State. And C.J. Stroud, I think, Currently, right now, probably is going to end up winning the Heisman just due to the fact of, I mean, hey, he's got one of the best best resumes so far, especially if they're able to make it to the college football playoff and be able to, you know, finally win another national championship. But anyway, in this game, Ohio, Ohio State, who was already, you know, pretty short in the running back room, didn't have Travion Henderson. So they would actually be starting junior running back Mayan Williams. And, well, Mayan Williams would have a great day, 15 carries for 147 yards rushing and one touchdown. But unfortunately, Mayan Williams would actually leave this game with a leg injury. He would have to be carted off. So once again, Ohio State loses another another running back, which you absolutely hate. But in would come freshman running back 
Dalen, Dalen Hayden. And, I mean, you know, in his first real action of the year, this kid balled out. I mean, he absolutely balled out. You know, actually getting a lot of meaningful carries and everything as you'd have 19 carries for 102 yards rushing and one touchdown. So, Ohio State, they literally do not rebuild. They just regenerate and they continue to just constantly re-add all these impressive pieces around them. And then Marvis, Marvin Harrison Jr., who, you know, at first I said Jalen Hyatt because of how well he played against Alabama, how well he played against Kentucky, you know, how well he played against all of those teams. I think right now Marvin Harrison Jr. probably should be the one front-running for the Belenikoff Trophy as Marvin Harrison had seven receptions for 135 yards receiving and one touchdown. And then for all the NFL draft scouts out there, to make it even better, He's six foot freaking four and is able to make some of the most incredible catches you will ever see. This kid is going to be an absolute steal for whatever team gets him in the NFL draft. And I mean, simply the fact that he is lengthy, he has speed, he can run pretty crisp routes. I mean, he's, I know definitely a lot of people would not expect him to be a good route runner, but man, his release is something else. But anyway, Ohio State, they would easily take care of Indiana. 56-14 to 14 as the Buckeyes. They remain undefeated and improved to 10-0 in Indiana. They now fall to 3-7 and seven and are out of bowl eligibility. So, Hoosier fans, feel for you because after that COVID year, <laughs> it looked like, you know, Indiana was going down the right track. But, I mean, Michael Penix leaving, just all these, you know, just it, it's just really a rough time for Indiana. I mean, so much momentum was coming out of that COVID year. Then after that 2-10 and 10 season last year, it seems like y'all potentially might be seeing a 3-9 and nine year. So, anyway, guys, the next game that I want to talk about on our noon slate, we're going to go over to Fayetteville, Arkansas, where it was actually snowing. So the whole field was iced out, snowed everything. And, you know, I didn't expect that personally. But now my uncle who lives up in uh, Oklahoma City, he told me a little bit. It was snowing up there, so... I kind of had some prior knowledge, quote-unquote, to this. But um, anyway, yeah, it was completely snow and everything like that. And you got to take that into the factor about why this game was such a low-scoring game because it also was 40 degrees. And you're probably wondering, especially all the people that are up north, 40 degrees is not that bad. But for a lot of us down south where, when it, you know, we pretty much have almost 80 to 90 degrees for about most of the year. And then we have about one or two months where it may drop to about 20 degrees at, like, the very coldest 40 degrees is a huge drop-off for us, so anyway, in this game, Arkansas would be going into it without their starting quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, due to a, I think, shoulder injury that he suffered a few games ago, so he wouldn't even show up in this game at all, so they would have to go with junior quarterback Malik Hornsby, who just absolutely struggled in this game, 4 for 9, 24 yards passing, with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions, so Arkansas, they would turn to his, his, um, to his backup, Cade Fortin, who's a senior quarterback, and you know, not a bad game by him. I mean, 8 for 13, 92 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. I mean, there's not a lot to expect out of him, but when he came in, he did okay. But obviously, the biggest thing was is how did Rocket Sanders do for the Arkansas Razorbacks, who I think doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, he's definitely he's leading all of college, he's leading all of college football. I think he's top 10 in total rushing yards, so one of the best running backs. LSU held him to under 50 yards rushing in this game, which was huge. Harold Perkins, who was originally committed to Texas A&M coming out of high school, but then flipped to LSU, he had one of the best defensive, you know, defensive games we've seen up there with JT. Uh, I can't remember his last name, but the defensive end for Ohio State, as Harold Perkins, the true freshman, mind you, you know, he's a true freshman, had four sacks on the day with eight tackles as well, six of those being solo. I mean, he just went off. And really, I mean, honestly, he's going to be an intriguing draft prospect here in about two years when he's going to be when he's going to become draft eligible. So 
Um, and then also let's look at LSU and a little bit about how they did. You know, Jane Daniels definitely struggled in this game. I mean, he did not look like the quarterback we saw against Alabama or even Ole Miss because in that game, I mean, he truly kind of, you know, introduced himself to everybody that didn't know him. I mean, you know, coming from Arizona State, wasn't a nationally known quarterback. I mean, if you, you know, heard about his recruitment, watched him a little bit in high school, and, you know, during his time at Arizona State, I mean, the talent was always there, but he never had the talent around him like he not, like he now has at LSU. So, but, um, you know, anyway, in this game, it was all about, you know, who would be able to run the ball a lot better. Um, that just came to LSU because LSU, you know, even despite Jaden Daniels not having that great of a game, I mean, passing-wise, like I said, 8 for 15, 86 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception, he would actually have the game, he would have a nine-quarterback rating in this game, so not a great game by any means, but junior running back Josh Williams for the Tigers, he would go off for them as on the day, Josh, he would have, let me, give me two seconds, he would have 19 carries for 122 yards rushing and one touchdown on the day, um, and, you know, also on top of that, both defenses deserve a lot of credit in this game. We talked a little bit about Harold Perkins for the LSU Tigers. But let me definitely shout out, you know, Arkansas's linebacking core, you know, with Drew Sanders, the former Alabama linebacker. You got Bumper Poof, I think it's a fifth-year senior linebacker for Arkansas, who I think could honestly be a really good linebacker at the next level. Both really physical guys and, you know, absolute type of leaders that you want on your defense. But ultimately, Arkansas's offense just could not get anything going. And, you know, not having your veteran quarterback like K.J. Jefferson definitely hurt them in this game as Arkansas was so, so close to winning this game. But they would fall just short as LSU. They would survive as they would win 13 to 10 against Arkansas and Fayetteville. As LSU, they now improved to eight and two and, and and have finally secured themselves a spot in the SEC championship game against Georgia over in the East. So that should be a pretty entertaining matchup. I mean, I can already tell you right now. I think I think Georgia would absolutely dog stomp LSU, pun intended. But but man, I mean, just. I mean, to think that LSU almost about a month and a half to two months ago were pretty much not even considered for any type of SEC championship game or, heck, even playoffs for that matter because they're currently at seven right now on the AP poll. So, I mean, if they make a late push, if TCU falls or Tennessee falls and all these big-time powers schools, I mean, we could potentially see LSU somehow sneak into the college football playoff knowing how much the playoff committee loves all these big brands to somehow magically make it into the college football playoff. So... Anyway, guys, the next game that we did have in our noon slate, we're going to travel out to uh, Tennessee. So we're going to travel over to Knoxville, Tennessee, you know, since we're just talking about Tennessee, as we had the Missouri Tigers taking on Hendon Hooker and the fifth-ranked Tennessee Volunteers. And, you know, for Tennessee, obviously that Georgia loss, it still stings, despite them having a really good win. I forgot, who did they play last week? Oh, my goodness, I can't even remember. But, you know, they had, a, they had an okay game last week, nothing crazy, nothing spectacular. But, you know, they're really wanting to, you know, bounce back. And against a team that Georgia struggled heavily against on offense, you know, Missouri's defense, you know, Tennessee wanted to prove a point that despite losing that game, they're still a really good team. And their offense just balled out. I mean, they look like the Tennessee we saw against Alabama. You know, the Tennessee that we saw against LSU where they went down to the Death Valley and absolutely destroyed the Tigers, who currently are only a few spots behind them in the rankings as Hendon Hooker, the Heisman hopeful quarterback who, you know, the Georgia game definitely hurt a little bit, you know, not being able to throw a touchdown pass and actually throw an interception. I think he had less than 100 passing yards on the day as well, which is something you definitely don't want if you're a Heisman hopeful quarterback. 
Hinton Hooker, he would go 25 for 35, 355 yards passing with zero, well, not zero touchdowns, with three touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. And then Joe Milton, the former Michigan quarterback, high recruit coming out of high school, you know, transferred to Tennessee potentially to get the starting quarterback gig. Obviously, Hendon Hooker would come in and take that, but Joe Milton, you know, he would come into this game late and he would go three for three, 105 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions and would have a 100 QBR rating. So, I mean, hey, maybe Joe Milton transfers out and can become a starter at another team because I think he definitely could be a good group of five starters. So, but um, anyway, you know, and also too, since we got to, since we were talking about Jalen Hyatt a little bit early on, he finally had his bounce back game after not really getting anything going these past two games. As Jalen Hyatt on the day would have seven receptions for 146 yards receiving with one touchdown as well. And then Brew McCoy, the former USC wide receiver and Texas wide receiver, if you want to say that, because. I mean, he was there for only a few months, but he would have nine receptions for 111 yards receiving as well as Tennessee Volunteers would go on to roll past the Missouri Tigers 66-24 to as Tennessee. They now improve to 9-1. and You know, they won't make the SEC championship because, you know, Georgia's, you know, 10-0 right now and have already secured it. You know, it's already set. But anyway, I think Tennessee, they need to continue to blow out the next few opponents. If Georgia loses an SEC championship, or, heck, I think they're really going to want LSU to lose that just because of how all the standings and everything work. We might potentially see Tennessee sneak in, you know, especially if TCU loses, if Ohio State or Michigan loses. And, you know, I actually got asked this question a little bit early on this weekend. You know, what would happen, you know, how how is the rankings going to work if, you know, how, you know, when Ohio State Michigan play, will one of them fall out of the top four or will they both stay? I think if Ohio State or Michigan, they get blown out in that game, I think one of them will definitely drop out of the top four. Heck, even maybe the top five for that matter because there's so many good teams behind them that getting one bad loss of that nature will absolutely derail, and I mean derail your resume into getting the college football playoff. But at the same time, they're both big. They're both two big brand name teams, and I likely doubt the fact that you know they're going to allow say a TCU, for example, with one loss to get in over a one-loss Ohio State or a one-loss, you know, uh, Michigan. So it'll be something definitely to monitor, especially, you know, uh, here in a few weeks when Michigan and, and Ohio State play up in Columbus. But anyway, Tennessee, they would go on to beat Missouri 66-24 to as Tennessee, their offense continues to roll after, you know, a pretty, you know, these past two weeks have been kind of slow, but they're finally getting back on track, so... Anyways, y'all, the next game that we're going to talk about, we're going to go up to Maryland as we had the 20th-ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish who are coming off that huge upset win against Clemson up in South Bend, taking on the Navy Midshipmen. Now, I think we all already knew going into this game that Notre Dame, they likely were going to beat Navy. I mean, there was no real question about it. Notre Dame has really stepped up these past few weeks, you know, especially being able to beat a really good Syracuse team at the time and then also beating a Clemson team that was ranked fourth at the time. So, you know, going into this game, they had a ton of momentum. And to start the game, it looked like Notre Dame was going to blow out Navy as at halftime, Notre Dame, they were beating Navy. Uh, let me do my math correctly. 35-13. to 13. Yeah, it was not looking good if you were a midshipman fan. But the second half, things started to get interesting as Notre Dame, they would get shut out on offense, you know, would not score a single point the rest of the game. In Navy, they would actually put up 19 points in the second half. But unfortunately, they would fall three points short in this game as Notre Dame, they would get the win over the Navy, the Navy midshipman, 35-32. to But also first, I do got to talk about this one incredible catch. And I mean just incredible catch 
that uh, Braden Lindsay, a senior wide receiver for the Notre Dame Irish, had in this game. Dude caught it on the defender's back and then casually just, you know, aggressively yanked it off of him. I mean, easily, easily potentially a catch of the year candidate. I mean, easily. But despite, you know, the late heroics by Navy and, you know, that run game, which gave Notre Dame a ton of fits. I mean, don't get me wrong. Navy was running the uh, football pretty dang well in this game. They had 255 yards of rushing and also had two TDs on the day rushing touchdowns. So not a bad game overall for Navy offensively, but that first half would really come to haunt them as Notre Dame would go on to beat Navy up at Baltimore Ravens Stadium 35-32 to as Notre Dame. They now improved to 7-3 and and will likely climb a little bit. I don't think they will a lot just due to the fact of how bad they played in the second half. So... Just something, just something for all you beautiful people to, you know, just take into consideration when Notre Dame does not climb, you know, a immense amount. So we're now going to head over to the country roads of Morgantown, West Virginia, as we had the Oklahoma Sooners, who at the time sat at five and four, taking on the three and six West Virginia Mountaineers. And to start this game, I mean, it was not looking good for West Virginia one bit. As their starting quarterback and former five-star quarterback and USC and Georgia quarterback, actually, uh, JT Daniels, he played horrendous to start this game as he'd go 7 for 12, 65 yards passing, zero touchdowns, and then would throw a really bad interception. And after that point, Neil Brown and that staff said, you know what, we've got to change it up. This is obviously not working. You know, we're sitting at 3-6. and six. You know, we, we need something, you know, we need new type of energy. So that is when West Virginia would go with a player that a lot of West Virginia fans have been kind of begging the coaching staff to put up, and that is in Garrett Green, who I personally watched him last year when West Virginia came down to uh, TCU to play my Horn Frogs. And, I mean, this kid has some of the – I mean, he is an athletic kid. I mean, he – the best player comparison I could give to y'all is like a Taysom Hill for the New Orleans Saints. I mean, he could catch the ball, throw the football, run the football – I mean, literally, wherever you need him, he can play there. And, you know, he did exactly that in this game as he literally revitalized this West Virginia offense as he would go 12 for 22, 138 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. And he would also put up a 95 QBR rating. So not too bad, not too bad for the young quarterback who really has not had that much playing time or experience up to this point, you know, going up against a, you know, Oklahoma team has kind of been surging as of late. You know, they, they lost to Baylor, but... They still have a really good offense. And also, too, he led the team in rushing. You know, West Virginia, they got their uh, veteran running back, Tony Mathis, back finally. And, you know, Garrett would actually lead them, and he just balled out when it came to running. I mean, this Oklahoma defense could not stop him running the football as Garrett Green would go 14. He'd have 14 carries for 119 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Just absolutely just running past this Oklahoma Sooners defense. You know, throwing the football wasn't the biggest suit for West Virginia in this game, obviously, especially after the struggles that came from JT Daniels, but they would put up a total of 203 passing yards on the day and one touchdown. And then for OU, um, nothing crazy on offense. They didn't play horrendously, but didn't play great. Dylan Gabriel goes 17 for 28, 190 yards passing with zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. And really their whole offense came from Eric Gray, the former Tennessee running back. And I know they're kind of hear, kind of tired of me hearing about him. But I said if Eric Gray had a really big, you know, really big day, it would put Oklahoma in a position to win the game. And, well, he did all he could. I mean, 25 carries for 211 yards rushing and two touchdowns. I mean, normally if your running back gives you those type of stats, you're going to win the ball game. I mean, I, I think it's really rare 
if you have a running back that will give you 200-plus rushing yards and you don't go on to win that game, especially when he tags along two rushing touchdowns too. I mean, Eric Gray had a phenomenal day. I mean, he really probably was the lone Oklahoma Sooner on the day that really balled out. I mean, I honestly, it was just one of those games that Oklahoma just could not get anything going. I mean, Marvin Mims pretty much put up only his second 100-receiving 100, 100 yard game of the year. Four receptions for 98 yards receiving. I'm just going to round it up to 100 because that's pretty much what it is. But he also struggled a little bit in this game as well. Had a few drops. And, you know, we're starting to see a lot of these All-American wide receivers. You know, we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about Xavier Worthy here later on. You know, kind of really rough game he had against TCU. But, anyway, Oklahoma, they would choke their lead and would let West Virginia come back in this game as West Virginia would go on to get a monumental win against Oklahoma. And actually their first win against Oklahoma since joining the Big 12 back in 2012 as West Virginia. They would go on to beat the Sooners 23-20 to as West Virginia. They now improved to 4-6. and And their bowl, bowl eligibility, it's still up there. They still could potentially go and make a bowl game. So don't rule out the Mountaineers yet, especially under Garrett Green. I mean, that offense looked really good, especially in the second half. Uh, and then Oklahoma, you know, they now fall to 5-5, five and five and, you know, likelihood they'll make a bowl game, but, I mean, they have to play Oklahoma State next weekend. You know, got the Bedlam rivalry. That's going to be a huge game. I personally think Oklahoma State, you know, they beat Iowa State. We'll talk about that game a little bit, but, you know, they have a really rough, you know, really rough last game as they have to go down, they have to go out to Lubbock too. So, Oklahoma might be on the verge of maybe not even making a bowl game either, so kind of have to monitor that a little bit. But anyway, West Virginia, they get the huge, they get a huge win, especially momentum-wise, over Oklahoma. So anyway, guys, the next game that I do want to talk about and kind of one of my shockers of the weekend, I know a lot of people like Kirk Herbstreet who just just absolutely negative Nancy's. He picked this other, other team, but uh, uh, we have, we're going to go out to the Big Ten, so we're going to talk about the Big Ten a little bit as we have the Purdue Boilermakers taking on the 21st-ranked Illinois Fighting Illini. Oh, man, Illinois. I, I really have no words because this defense was so good. I mean, so good. You know, they dropped one to Michigan State last week, which a lot of us are kind of like, okay, it's a fluke. They're going to bounce back against, you know, a Purdue team, mind you, that made Spencer Petras look like a compatible quarterback. I mean, he threw for three touchdown passes, which is unheard of. I mean Spencer Petrus. I mean we're I mean arguably one of the worst college football quarterbacks we've seen in recent memory. So yeah, going into this game, I personally thought Illinois they should be able to beat the brakes off of Purdue. Um, you know, but that was the complete opposite in this game. Uh, Chase Brown, who didn't get a hundred rushing yards on the day, but was able to put up ninety-eight of them. He also got two uh, two rushing touchdowns as well. He did what he needed to do. Tommy DeVito. Definitely not his best game as a fighting Illini. 18 for 32, 201 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. Really struggled to get anything going in this game for the fighting Illini. And then on the flip side for Purdue, their veteran quarterback, Aiden O'Connell, who feels like he's been with the Boilermakers, and I say that you know about a lot of quarterbacks, kind of similar to uh, Tanner Morgan from Minnesota, feels like he's been with the program for years, but he played a really good game, a really good bounce-back game for him as he'd go 25 for 40, 237 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception. I mean, they really were connecting, and you know, also helps too when your run game, which has been kind of non-existent, kind of steps up. So their freshman running back, Devin Maccabee, almost brutally mispronounced that, but uh, yeah, Devin, he would actually have a really solid game, uh, true freshman as he would have 28 carries for 106 yards rushing and one touchdown. As Purdue, they would go into Champaign and stun the fighting Illini 31-24. As Purdue, they now are bowl eligible as they improved to 6-4. And, and then for Illinois, 
They now fall to 7-3 and three after now dropping two straight games. Yeah, these are two games that I think a lot of, especially Illinois fans, thought were pretty winnable. Michigan State, you know, they're coming right off of that incident against Michigan, looked very vulnerable. And then for Purdue, also looking very vulnerable again because the week prior, Iowa came into West Lafayette and absolutely killed them on offense. So just a lot of things looked weird. And right now it seems like teams that are, you know, kind of in a, you know, kind of in a hole are doing pretty good against Illinois. So we're just going to have to watch out and see how the Illinois, they finish out their year. So, but anyway, Purdue, they get the upset win over the fighting Illini in Champaign. Now, guys, for our next game that we're going to talk about in our noon slate, I know there was more. I know there was more. Oh, here we go. Liberty taking on UConn. Now, UConn fans, I want to first and foremost apologize for ever doubting the Huskies. I should not have ever doubted them. I should never have doubted Jim Mora Jr. I should have known better than to do that. As UConn, they are now bowl eligible for the first time, I think since 2014, as they would go on to beat a really good Hugh Freeze-led Liberty team, 36-33. As UConn, they improved to 6-5. and five. And they hand Liberty only their second loss of the year. Liberty's 8-2 and two after this loss. So they didn't just beat a, a team like UMass the week prior. They beat arguably a pretty much borderline top 25 team that's led by potentially the, like a next uh, Power 5 head coach. So really good win by UConn. I'm, ex- I'm really excited for them. And hopefully they can finish off the year with a dub and you know get 7-5 and five and then be able to go to a bowl game. And if they win a bowl game... I think the college football world might actually erupt, so that definitely that definitely would be pretty interesting. So, but um, anyway, guys, the next game that I'm going to talk about on our noon slate, and actually our final game on our noon slate, we're going to talk about the Pitt Panthers taking on the Virginia Cavaliers. I'm not going to go in depth about this game because, well, I can already outright tell you by the score, 37 to seven, Pitt. It was never really close. Israel Abanikanda, who came back finally after dealing with an injury, he had a great game, 24 carries for 121 yards rushing and one touchdown on the day. But the story and why I really want to talk about this game is what is going on with Virginia football because to start off this game, Brennan Armstrong, who going into this year was a potential, I would say maybe early-round draft pick, mid-round draft pick, just largely due to the fact that his arm is amazing. I mean, he had multiple games where he threw for 500 yards passing last year. He threw two pick sixes on two consecutive plays to start the game against Pitt. So two plays, two pick sixes, that's 14 points right there already. And I think it was under a minute. That's not what you want out of a guy like that. And honestly, I think a lot of the blame definitely deserves to go on Tony Elliott, you know, the head coach that the Virginia Cavaliers hired, the former OC over at Clemson. I mean, it's just I really feel bad. I mean, I because all this talent around them and they have not been able to really do anything. So, but anyway, Pitt they get a huge win over Virginia, thirty-seven to seven. So, anyway, guys, enough with me rambling. I don't want to take all y'all's time. So now let's get into our midday slate of games. And the first game to kick it all off that we're going to talk about in our midday slate. We're going to talk about the ninth-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide going down to Oxford, Mississippi to take on the Ole Miss Rebels. I almost said the Oxford Rebels, my bad. Taking on the 11th-ranked Ole Miss Rebels. Now, to start this game, Ole Miss, they jumped to a quick 10-0 lead. But Alabama, they would score two touchdowns in the second quarter. And, you know, for Bryce Young, you know, not his best game by any means, but 
he was able to come up clutch when they needed him the most as Bryce Young on the day would go 21 for 33, 209 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. By no means is Bryce Young a Heisman candidate. You know, he, he did win the Heisman last year, but by no means is he a Heisman candidate this year. He's still a good quarterback. I mean, he's not a bad quarterback at, by any means. Like, don't get it twisted. He is still a great quarterback. I mean, honestly, I think a lot of teams out there that, you know, a lot of people, let me say that, that, you know, talk about, oh, Alabama's struggling, this and that. I think a lot of it's got to be due just to Alabama's defense. I mean, that secondary is probably probably one of the weakest we've seen in Alabama in recent history because they're allowing all of these points. And, you know, they even got ran they got ran over a lot in this game. And you can just guess already who, Quinshawn Judkins, the true freshman phenom running back for the Ole Miss Rebels, who once again has another amazing game and actually ties the SEC record for rushing touchdowns in a season, which he'll probably end up breaking, set by Nick Chubb back in the uh, back in the mid-2010s when he was over Georgia. But Quinshawn Judkins would have a really good day and kind of led this Ole Miss offense. 25 carries for 135 yards rushing and two touchdowns on the day. Jackson Dart. Not the greatest game by any means. His offensive line definitely didn't help him at all, but 18 for 31, 212 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. But all, but Alabama, they would come up clutch in the second half, only allowing a touchdown as they would score 16 in the second half to get a 30-24 to 24 win and a must-needed win over the Ole Miss Rebels. As Alabama, they now improve to 8-2. and two. And Ole Miss, they now fall to 8-2. and two. And I should have never picked Ole Miss, and this is just – Here's going to be my kind of my reasoning behind it. Nick Saban does not lose consecutive games. I, I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, when I was down at, you know, Bevo Boulevard, which is right outside UT Stadium, I watched the game. It was 17-7. to I'm like, okay, I've got this one in the back. I absolutely have. There's, no, there's nothing to worry about, right? Look on my phone once I get inside the stadium, and I see that, you know, Bryce Young and his Alabama team came all the way back and ended up beating Ole Miss, so... I mean, I, I, I'm not going to say I'm not surprised. I, I don't remember if I said anything in the preview, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it came back to haunt me. But, anyway, Alabama, they get a must-needed win over Ole Miss, 30-24, to as they try to continue to keep their playoff hopes alive. Because, once again, it is Alabama. They're definitely going to get not favored. I'm not going to say favored, but they're definitely going to get definitely going to get some decent treatment by the committee in terms of, you know, oh, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, we'll – we might slide you into four, you know, drop another team three positions, you know, kind of after TCU beat Iowa State 55 to 3, we dropped three rankings, but but anyway, anywho, anyway, anywho, we don't need to, you know, live out the past or anything, but <laughs> but anyway, guys, the next game that I do want to talk about in our uh, midday slate of games, we're going to go up to Ann Arbor as we had the Nebraska Cornhuskers who did not have Casey Thompson in this game, the former Texas quarterback now with the Husk the Cornhuskers. So that was already a huge and I mean huge just kind of implication of how things will go in this game as they're taking on Blake Corum and the potential national championship Michigan Wolverines who are still continuing to look for a little bit better quarterback play JJ McCarthy who has not been bad by any means this year but has not been anything you know flashy or you know anything that you would say would be make him a top 10 quarterback so kind of expected a little bit more out of him but the run game which which has kind of become notorious for Michigan this year it, yeah, it definitely dominated against this Nebraska run defense, which is one of the worst in all of the country. As Blake Corum would have yet another 150-plus rushing yard game, 28 carries for 162 yards rushing and one touchdown. I mean, Nebraska just, they had no answers for him in this game. J.J. McCarthy, 
He'd go. He would go eight for seventeen, 129 yards passing, with two touchdowns, zero interceptions. I mean, he didn't really need to throw the football that much because when you have a guy like Blake Corum who can easily take up to 30 rushes a game and it'll give you 150 plus rushing yards. I mean, why would you really throw the football? So, <laughs> but but uh, anyway, a lot of credit needs to be given to Michigan's defense as well because they only allowed Nebraska three points, and I know obviously they did not have Casey Thompson. But they had Chuba Purdy, who is Brock, the former Iowa State quarterback, Brock Purdy's little brother. And Chuba, he did not look the best in this game. 6 for 11, 56 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. Um, he also led the team in rushing yards, five carries for 39 yards rushing. And uh, Nebraska, they also had less than 75 yards receiving total on the day. And they also had exactly 75 rushing yards on the day. So when we do the math... They barely had over 140 yards total offense in this game as Michigan has a dominant defensive performance and also a really good running rushing performance by Heisman hopeful running back Blake Corm as the Wolverines. They go on to beat the Nebraska Cornhuskers 34-3 as Michigan. They improved to 10-0 and you know here in a few weeks they're going to have a real tough matchup going up to Columbus and taking on C.J. Stroud and the and hopeful national championship Ohio State Buckeyes so anyway guys the next game that we're going to talk about in our midday slate of games so let me scroll down through all of the 500 games that we're going to be talking about today let me scroll down let's pick uh, which one which one should we pick which one should we pick we are going to pick a American Athletic Conference showdown in my opinion one of the more underrated matchups that we did have in this weekend as we had the 22nd ranked UCF Knights, not Golden Knights. I didn't realize they dropped the whole golden phrase, so my bad UCF fans. As they take on the 17th ranked Tulane Green Wave down in New Orleans. And unfortunately, the story tell of Tulane, it did come to an end in this game. Which, that is very unfortunate because I did like Tulane, but I knew how good UCF was. I mean, Gus Malzahn has done incredible things down there in Orlando for the uh, the. I almost said the night, the Golden Knights, the Knights of UCF, as John Rice Plumley, the quarterback for UCF, would have a monster game running the football. Now, in case you didn't know, he would transition to wide receiver when he was at Ole Miss before he transferred over to UCF, where he would be named the starting quarterback. Um, he would have 18 carries for 176 yards rushing and two touchdowns as well. Yeah, he he definitely was having his way a little bit with this two-lane defense, which has kind of been noted as one of the more underrated defenses. So. You know, they definitely did not look like themselves in this game. Oh, it also did not help the fact either that Tulane, they fumbled the ball three times in this game. Technically, only two were lost because one would go out of bounds, but just not a good game, you know, by Tulane. There were a lot of mistakes they made. Uh, you know, they were able to run the ball pretty dang effectively. Uh, their running back, Spears, he would have eight carries for 130 yards rushing and zero touchdowns. So, overall, not a horrifyingly bad game. Their quarterback, uh, Pratt, he would go 23 for 39, 236 yards passing with three touchdowns, zero interceptions. But unfortunately, their defense just could not hold out that UCF offense. As UCF, they would go on to upset, technically, they would upset the Tulane Green Wave 38 to 31. As UCF, they now improved to 8 and 2 on the year. And Tulane, they now fall to 8 and 2 on the year. And the, the Americans are getting a little bit, little bit, um, a little bit interesting because now you have Cincinnati, Tulane, and UCF, who are all currently sitting at 8-2 and two in the American Athletic Conference. So definitely something to look at in, in terms of you know how that whole thing works. I don't really know how tiebreakers and all that work in college football. I know there's a weird strength of schedule or anything like that. So, But, I mean, hey, 
all power out there to, you know, the, the, the Knights of UCF is y'all were able to get a really good win against a really solid two-lane team, which I think will still probably be probably go to a pretty good bowl game. And hopefully we see the Greenway win a bowl game. That'd be that'd be pretty cool if we were able to see them do that. So anyways, y'all, I'm not trying to talk y'all's ears off or anything like that, but the final afternoon game that I do want to talk about is going to be down in the ACC, down in Atlanta, Georgia, as we had the Miami Hurricanes who Came into this game four and five, struggling to, you know, they really were just trying to find something positive about their offense and heck, even their defense. But the offense, they cannot find any sort of consistent quarterback play. You know, going into this game against Georgia Tech, Tyler Van Dyke, who was their starter at the beginning of the year, would not be playing in this game. Jake Garcia, who just looked horrendous these past few weeks, had eight turnovers against Duke a few weeks ago. So, yeah, definitely not somebody you want to have at quarterback. So going up against Georgia Tech, I mean, this was a game that, personally, I thought Georgia Tech probably would win just because of how bad the momentum has been going for the hurt, not for the hurt, yeah, for the Hurricanes. And then also the fact too that Miami, they're also probably gonna be looking towards next week as they have to go to Clemson and play the Clemson Tigers. I mean, I mean, man, if you're a if you're a Miami Hurricane fan, I know y'all are just absolutely dreading that game next week, but. Anyway, for Miami, the starting quarterback in this game would actually be Ja'Curry Brown, a freshman quarterback for them, and he looked pretty solid in this game. I mean, probably one of the better quarterback performances that they've had all year, 14 for 19, 136 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. You know, nothing's crazy about the yardage, but the fact that they were able to get three passing touchdowns and zero interceptions is a huge deal for a team that has just only thrown interceptions and has not been able to throw any sort of touchdowns. Also, Miami running back Knighton, he would he would finally get some stuff going too as well. 16 carries for 118 yards rushing and one touchdown. As Miami, they would pull out a, a game against a pretty beaten up Georgia Tech team. I mean, Georgia Tech, they don't have Jeff Sims, their starting quarterback. Obviously, Jeff Collins got uh, got fired, you know, midseason. So they're also kind of, you know, like a Colorado-type program that's just looking towards to next year or looking forward to next year, getting their new head coach, getting a new regime going. But Miami, they get a huge win down at Atlanta as they go on to beat the Yellow Jackets 35-14 to as Miami, they now improve to 5-5 five and five and potentially could still make a bowl game. Now, they're probably going to lose to Clemson next week, which if they if Clemson somehow loses to Miami, I, I might explode because I, I don't think there's any way in heck Miami will be able to compete against Clemson. But you never know. This is Miami. They might somehow shock us. It's Mario Cristobal, so they might somehow get a win. But for Georgia Tech, they now fall to 4-6. and six. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not even out of bowl, bowl, uh, bowl contest either. I mean, they still, you know, they have to win out, obviously, but they still potentially could make a bowl game. So, anyway, guys, enough of me rambling and all that. Let's now get over to our final slate of games here on Week 11 of the 2022 college football season and the first game I want to talk about and one of the best games of the year easily as we had a Pac-12 showdown and one of the almost underrated rivalry games in all of college football as we had the 25th ranked Washington Huskies traveling to Eugene Oregon to take on the 6th ranked Oregon Ducks who are looking to continue their playoff hopes led by Heisman hopeful quarterback Bo Nix the former Auburn quarterback who has kind of found a career resurgence with the Ducks of Oregon I mean He's been balling out, and in this game, he would also continue to ball out. You know, 19 for 27, 280 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interception. I mean, he had no problem throwing the football. Uh, also, his favorite his favorite target, Troy Franklin, a sophomore wide receiver out of California, 
would absolutely go off in this game. I mean, really would be Bo Nix's main man in this game. Five receptions for 139 yards receiving and one touchdown. I, I mean, really, this was a back-and-forth game. You know, Washington would score, Oregon would score. Washington would score, Oregon would score. You know, just back and forth, back and forth. But ultimately, it would come down to a fourth-down conversion that Oregon would fail on, given the Huskies back the ball inside Oregon territory where they would kick the game-winning field goal and would upset the Ducks at Autzen Stadium 37-34. to Oregon, their playoff chances are pretty much gone at this point now. Nothing against Washington, but they're pretty much gone because, you know, a two-loss team, especially in the Pac-12, nine times out of ten will not make it in the playoff. I still think they're a really good team. You know, they're still in – they're still in contention to go to the Pac-12 championship game. They'll likely end up playing USC because USC, I don't think they'll lose another game the rest of the year. I mean, no offense, but UCLA, we'll talk about their detrimental just fall down that they had against Arizona. But anyway, Washington had an amazing offensive game. Michael Penix Jr., the former Indiana quarterback who was really good with the Huskies this year. I would not say a Heisman candidate by any means, but definitely one of the more solid quarterbacks in all college football, especially throwing the football. He had a really good game, 26 for 35, 408 yards passing with with two touchdowns and one interception on the day. And then Jalen McMillan, Jalen Mc, McMillan, oh my lord, I can't pronounce names, would have a really good game as well. The Washington wide receiver with eight receptions for 122 yards receiving. As Washington, their air, their air raid was just a little bit more air raidy than the Oregon Ducks as they would go on to beat them and get one of the bigger upsets of the weekend, 37-34 over Oregon. So, really good win as both of these teams are now tied at the same record, 8-2. and two. So, I mean, the rest of the games for the rest of this year are going to be really crucial in seeing who will probably be going up against USC in the Pac-12 championship. So, anyway, guys, we're going to head back down south and east as we're going to go back to the SEC as we had the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs taking on the Mississippi State Bulldogs, a.k.a. the Bulldog Bowl. So in this game, uh, went the way I expected it. Now Stetson Bennett, he would throw two interceptions in this game, but outside of that, looked pretty solid. 25 for 37, 289 yards passing with three touchdowns, and then those two interceptions as well. Uh, Brock Bowers didn't have a, a huge game like we've kind of gotten used to seeing, especially like the ones he had against uh, Florida. And then I forgot which one he had early on in the year, but he would have, have five receptions for 41 yards receiving and one touchdown. Darnell Washington, who's pretty much the 1B tight end for the Georgia Bulldogs, he would have five receptions for 60 yards receiving and one touchdown. As Georgia, they would go on to dominate Mississippi State over in Starkville, 45-19 to as the Bulldogs. They remain undefeated and will likely remain at number one. And for Mississippi State, they now fall to 6-4 and four after you know, just a few disappointing weeks. I mean, they almost allowed Auburn to come back against them last week, which that would have been a just really bad loss at home. So anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to go and talk about, we're going to go down to Austin, Texas. Now for me, this was one of my personal favorite games of the weekend, and not just for the fact I'm a TCU fan, but I was able to experience this game in person, the, the just absolutely extreme type of electricity and just the, the environment at DKR Memorial Stadium is just amazing. If you've never been and you live in Texas, you definitely need to go sometime. That is one of the best places to be in all of college football. The fan, I mean, the fans are loud. The fans are definitely loud and intimidating and that definitely intimidated TCU's offense a little bit in this game because 
we didn't get the same type of production from Max Duggan that we've been kind of used to seeing. And, you know, the offensive line TCU, they might have gotten a little bit intimidated as well as, you know, that D-line for Texas just absolutely bullied them all game. As Max Duggan, he would get sacked a total. And let me look real quick because I haven't even looked at the stats. He would get sacked five times in this game, which it felt way more. But he would get sacked five times and really struggled, especially in the first half, to get things going. But in the second half, the Frogs, they would start to get things going, especially with the fact that Quentin Johnston, who is going to probably be a top 10 pick in this upcoming year's NFL draft, he was he was questionable to go in this game due to an ankle injury that he suffered against, uh, I think, yes, West Virginia. But he would play in this game fully padded and everything. And he looked really good in his first real game back. Three receptions for 66 yards receiving and one touchdown. But the real MVP of this TCU offense in this game was Kendra Miller, one of the most underrated running backs in all of college football. And I'm going to say, I mean, I think he right now, especially after this game, is the best running back in the Big 12. And, yes, I said that over Bijan Robinson, who I still think is going to be an amazing NFL back. But Kendra on the night would have 21 carries for 138 yards rushing and one touchdown. He would have a huge 75-yard rushing touchdown, which really just changed the momentum for the rest of the game, which gave the Horned Frogs a 10-3 lead in the third quarter. Uh, you know, there was only three points scored at halftime. It was 3-0 Horned Frogs at halftime. I was kind of left scratching my head because I thought, hey, we should be getting a lot more points than this. It should not be 3-0. You know what I mean? You have Quinn Ewers and Bijan Robinson for Texas. You have Max Duggan and Kendra Miller and Quentin Johnston for the TCU Horned Frogs. You know, where are the points, right? Like, if you bet the over in this game, you probably were crying yourself to sleep at halftime because, I mean, it just, there was no points being scored but TCU's defense, which I think deserves a ton of credit. I don't think it was just Texas's offense being bad in this game. I think TCU's defense was just phenomenal. I mean, they did not allow Quinn Ewers to do anything. As Quinn Ewers had his worst game as a starter in college football, going 17 for 39, 171 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. Now, not a lot of those passes will be blamed on Quinn because his receivers dropped the ball a ton. As I mentioned early on in the episode, Xavier Worthy, who was a freshman All-American wide receiver last year for the Longhorns, he struggled to really get his foot going this year. He has not looked like the same wide receiver that we've gotten accustomed to seeing. As Xavier Worthy, he would have two crucial drops, which would have been huge, two huge first downs for the Longhorns in this game. He would only have four receptions for 32 yards. Not something you want out of your All-American wide receiver, especially against a secondary like TCU that has been so inconsistent especially in zone and man coverage. So, But anyway, TCU, they'd be able to pull it out after Max Duggan literally just lost control of the football. Texas returned it for a touchdown, which is why you see Texas with 10 points. So in reality, the final score should have been 17-3. to But Texas, they would get that one defensive touchdown to, just to cut the lead. But Texas, they would hold, or not Texas, TCU, they would hold them off to get a monumental win down in Austin against the Longhorns, 17-10 to as TCU they, were, they now are 10-0 for the first time since 2010. And if you're wondering, you know, what happened in 2010 to those Horned Frogs, they would go on to be 13-0 and would beat uh, the Wisconsin Badgers in the Rose Bowl. I, was, I don't know why my, my brain just quit working, but I mean, this TCU team, man, they are special. But they're going to have another road test again as they go down to Waco to take on their rival, the Baylor Bears. And then for Texas, um, you know, defensively, amazing game. I mean, 100% the defense stepped up when it mattered the most. They, I mean, overall, they were a really good team. They should not be blamed for this loss. 
I mean, a lot of that needs to be for that. A lot of the blame for this game, if you're a Texas fan, you should not be putting it on the defense. You need to be putting it on the play calling because, my God, did they look like TCU's play calling for a while. I mean, they look like what TCU does normally early on in games and implemented it into their whole game plan, you know, through four quarters of football. Now, Quinn Ewers struggled. We all know that. Bijan Robinson, and I almost forgot to mention about Bijan, he, he, he only had 12 carries on the night for 29 yards. 29 yards. This, I think this is his first game all year that he's been held to under 50 rushing yards total. Going into this game against TCU, he had seven consecutive games with 100-plus rushing yards. I mean, a lot of credit. I mean, TCU deserves some dang respect. I'm sorry. I mean, they just stopped arguably the best running back in all of college football and held him to less than 30 yards rushing on the night. He had 12 carries. Now, he, now he didn't get the ball as much as he should have, especially, and I kind of question this, when Texas got down into the red zone and they had four straight passing plays and did not rush the ball once with B. John Robinson. Play calling seriously needs to be questioned. I think Steve Sarkeesian definitely needs to be looked at a little bit more. Nothing against him, but kind of similar to Josh McDaniel in the NFL, I think he might just be better as an offensive coordinator. I, I really don't know if he's meant to be the future head coach of the of the uh, Texas Longhorns. So, But anyway, TCU, they get a huge win to add to their resume as they beat their rival, the Texas Longhorns, 17-10 down in Austin. As Texas, they now fall to 6-4 and four and will be playing up in Lawrence next week against the Kansas Jayhawks. And for TCU, they remain 10-0 and will play down in Waco against the Baylor Bears next week. Now, guys, for our next game, and personally one of my favorite games of the weekend, and I think one of the more underrated offenses and one of the more underrated quarterbacks that needs to be talked a little more. I know he's starting to get a lot more recognition, but this guy is seriously a stud, and I'm talking about UNC quarterback Drake May. This dude needs to seriously be considered for the Heisman Trophy. I mean, the, the pure stats that he's put on the year, and I'm just going to tell you his overall stats for the year, 3,400 passing yards on the year. 34, uh, 34 passing touchdowns for three interceptions. So he has 34 passing touchdowns with three interceptions and also has 3,400 passing yards. That is absurd. I mean, that is absurd. And he's, I know the ACC is not as strong as it, as you know as, it, as it's been in past years. But still, the fact he's putting up these stats as a true freshman, mind you, that is just crazy. I mean, that's stuff that Sam Howell couldn't even do his freshman year. But anyway, I'm not, I don't want to overreact or over, you know, you know, over, overrate him or anything like that. He's a really good quarterback. And, well, I mean, he really led this North Carolina team to an upset win. Or not, oh, yeah, no, it technically was an upset win. I know North Carolina, they're ranked 15th. But going into Wake Forest, going into Winston-Salem, they were actually, I think, I think it was minus three for Wake Forest. You know, Sam Hartman, who the past few weeks has been dealing with some turnover issues, has, I think, I think it was six interceptions. You know, he had three against Louisville. He had three against, uh, oh, my Lord, I don't remember who they played before that. But he's he's had six interceptions over the past two weeks. And, you know, going into this game, the biggest thing was would Sam Hartman limit his uh, mistakes. And, you know, he did limit his mistakes. He only had one interception on four touchdowns. But um, just the defense of Wake Forest could not handle this North Carolina offense. And I think a lot of really defenses in the nation probably couldn't handle this North Carolina offense. I mean, Drake May – I mean, seriously, just just read the stat line. 31 for 49, 448 yards passing. So he almost had another 500-yard passing game with three touchdowns and no interceptions. 
I mean, that is just absurd for a true freshman quarterback, mind you. He still has three more years of college football. This kid is going to be something special. I mean, Mac Brown really got himself another gem at quarterback. And then, and then for Sam Hartman, you know, we were just talking about him a second ago. He went 18 for 31, 320 yards passing with four touchdowns and one interception on the day. But, unfortunately, despite Sam Hartman having a pretty decent day, the offense doing pretty good. North Carolina, they would just be better, as especially North Carolina wide receiver Josh Downs, who I think needs to be talked about a little bit more as well, as he's honestly one of the better wide receivers in all of college football, as he would have 11 receptions for 154 yards receiving and three touchdowns as well. I mean, he started to become Drake May's number one target and showed in this game as the North Carolina Tar Heels were going to beat the Wake Forest Demon Deacons 36-34. to As North Carolina, they now are only 9-1. and The only loss they've suffered against was against Notre Dame at home early on in the year. So not a bad loss by any means. I mean, we saw what Notre Dame did against Ohio State week one. So definitely a quality loss. And Wake Forest, they now fall to 6-4, and four, and they've dropped. Let me look real quick. I know they've dropped a ton of their last few games. They've now lost three straight games, Louisville, NC State, and now to North Carolina. So just a really rough stretch for the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Who to start the year, you know, with Sam Hartman. They look like they potentially could be contending for the ACC championship, but likely have now fallen out of that race. So got to feel for Sam Hartman because I like him a lot. Dealt with a lot of adversity to begin the year. Came back, played amazing, but these last few weeks have just not been Wake Forest's weeks. So anyways, y'all, the next game we're going to talk about, we're still going to stay in the ACC, but we're going to go to South Carolina as we had the Louisville Cardinals, who have been having a pretty pretty solid past few weeks. You know, we talked about how uh, talked about how Sam Hartman struggled against the Louisville defense. I mean, Louisville, they had a field day on defense against Sam Hartman, and they've been pretty good. You know, I, you probably could say they have the best defense in all the ACC, taking on a struggling offense who now is coming off of a brutal loss up in South Bend against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and the 10th-ranked Clemson Tigers. So, now for me, I pick Clemson because, once again, it's being played at Clemson, so that's going to be a huge advantage as well. The home atmosphere, everything like that. So you got to, you know, you kind of have to factor that into, you know, making the decision. And well, that definitely played a big factor. DJ Ugalele, who didn't have his, didn't have an amazing game, but definitely one of his better ones because he did not make any mistakes. That was the biggest thing. He did not make any mistakes. We'll go 19 for 27, 185 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. But the run game of Clemson, they finally realized, look, you know, our quarterback has a very inconsistent arms at time, has a really inconsistent arm at times. Let's run the football a lot more. And that's exactly what they did. Will Shipley, who had an amazing game. Uh, when was it? Oh, God, I'm trying to remember. Oh, against Syracuse. Yeah, he had an amazing game against Syracuse a few weeks ago. He had a really good game against Louisville. 19 carries for 97 yards rushing and one touchdown. But also, got to make sure to shout out the guy Moffa, the running back for the Clemson Tigers, as he would have 10 carries for 100, 106 yards rushing and one touchdown and would lead the Tigers in rushing as Clemson. And, you know, I almost, I almost forgot, my bad, Clemson fans. The defense was really good in this game. They were really good in this game. Will Shipley... Uh, also, and I just now I'm just looking at the stat. I didn't really watch too much of this game, so bear with me. Will Shipley, he would fumble the ball two times. He would only lose one of them, but still having those two fumbles is huge. So Louisville, they were able to get some turnovers on defense. They were able to get some turnovers. You know, only got one fumble, but they were able to force a lot of them. But Clemson's defense deserves a ton of credit. I mean, they held Malik Cunningham to pretty much slim to none passing-wise. 10 for 13, 75 yards passing. And even in the run game, Malik Cunningham only had 20 yards rushing on the day. 
I mean, that's really good for this Louisville team, which is a run-first offense, 150 yards total rushing for the Cardinals as Clemson. They get a really good win against a really good Louisville team, 31-16 to as Clemson. They now improved to 9-1 and and will likely be in the ACC championship. And then for the Cardinals, you know, they really needed this game if they were going to want to you know, potentially be able to get into the ACC championship. But they're kind of in the same spot with Wake Forest where North Carolina and Clemson are both sitting at 9-1. and And then also to mention Florida State, who just got a pretty good win over Syracuse. They're now at 7-3, and so likely those two teams will not make the ACC championship. So anyways, y'all, the next game that we're going to talk about, and oh, let me scroll down real quick so I can find it for y'all. Oh, yeah, I want to talk about this game. So we had the 19th-ranked Kansas State Wildcats going down to Waco, Texas. Sorry, Waco, Texas. Yes, I did purposely say Waco to take on the Baylor Bears. And, well, for Kansas State, Adrian Martinez, he struggled heavily against Texas last week. Um, You know, they were able to do a few things. There were a couple questionable throws, you know, one interception, which pretty much was right directly to a Texas linebacker. So this week week against Baylor, um, they actually decided to continue to go with Will Howard. I know Adrian Martinez started the game, but I think he either was injured or they just decided to go with Will Howard, who – in case you don't remember, beat Oklahoma State 48-0. to I mean, this guy was really good. He also looked really good against my Horn Frogs, too. And, well, when he came into the game, the whole energy of the offense changed. I mean, Kansas State just could not get – I mean, they, they could not be stopped on offense once Will Howard came in the game. As he would go 19 for 27, 196 yards passing with three touchdowns and zero interceptions. I mean, he just was phenomenal. And then Deuce Vaughn. I mean, this man just continues to amaze me. I mean, just for what he's doing at his size is just incredible. He truly is Darren Sproles 2.0 as he'd have 25 carries for 106 yards rushing as well. And, you know, I don't think there's really too much to talk about with this Baylor game. Baylor just could not get anything going on offense. Blake Shapin would throw two picks in this game. And Baylor would only be able to put up a field goal, which occurred in the second quarter. And there would be no other points scored in this game as Kansas State, they get a huge win against Baylor down to Waco, 31-3. And for Baylor, they've got a tough test against a really good TCU team, a 10-0 TCU team, who's going to be able to, who's going to want to look to potentially really, and I mean really prove to the rest of the country, you know, whether it's on the road or whether it's at home, you know, we're still the same football team. So Waco's going to have a pretty rough, pretty big game, not rough, I don't want to say rough, I don't want to jinx my frogs, but they're going to have a pretty big game coming up next week against the TCU Horn Frogs. And then for Kansas State, I mean, this team needs to go forward with Will Howard. You know, they're in the driver's seat to make the Big 12 championship game. They need to win out. I mean, they majorly need to win out because, you know, if you lose one game, that keeps Texas into consideration. You know, they play at West Virginia next week. I feel that should be a game they should win. But if Garrett Green does start for the West Virginia Mountaineers, how will that Kansas State defense do against you know a really good quarterback that's able to run the football as well? I mean, we saw what Bijan Robinson did against Kansas State a few weeks ago, so something to kind of consider. And they wrap up the season playing Kansas up in Manhattan. That should probably be a win. So Kansas, realistically, this is their opportunity to lose to make it to the Big 12 championship game for the first time. So just something to kind of monitor there in the Big 12 as we're having a race for who will be able to play TCU in the Big 12 championship game is there's a weird three-way tie going on right now with Texas, Kansas State, and Oklahoma State. So anyways, y'all, let's head back over to the SEC as we had one of the biggest upsets of the weekend. 
I mean, this one was just a complete stunner. I personally did not see this one coming because, well, Kentucky, they were at home. And they have who a lot of draft scouts continue to say is one of the top quarterback prospects in the 2023 NFL draft. And this game continues to make me question, what do they see besides size in this guy? Nothing against Will Levis. I think he's a great person. But player-wise, what do they see as Will Levis would struggle against the Vanderbilt Commodores defense, mind you, as he would go 11 for 23, 109 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception. And he would have a 15 QBR rating in the game, so that kind of tells you anything. He did not play good whatsoever for the Wildcats in this game. Uh, Chris Rodriguez, who I've liked for a while. I remember watching the Belk Bowl a few years ago when they took on Virginia Tech. I think it was a Virginia Tech. Yeah, Virginia Tech, because Hendon Hooker was the starting quarterback of the Hokies at the time, which a lot of people forget. You know, Hendon Hooker was originally at Virginia Tech. So, But uh, anyway, I like Chris Rodriguez. I think he'll be a pretty good late-round pickup for somebody in the 2023 NFL draft as he would have 18 carries for 162 yards rushing and two touchdowns on the day. And that would really be it for Kentucky offensively. Not too much else. I mean, they really would not be able to get anything going offensively. Uh, you know, they it was just a rough game overall for the Kentucky offense. You know, you have a guy like Will Levis who is so hyped up. I mean, so hyped up. Supposed to be this top quarterback talent. You know, who's supposed to be the next great NFL quarterback. And then he just completely loses it against a team like Vanderbilt. But Vanderbilt, I've got to give them a lot of credit. As in this game, they had two running backs that would go over 120 rushing yards on the game. Each would have one rushing touchdown apiece. As Davis and Wright would both just absolutely tear up that Kentucky, Kentucky front seven. I mean, they were just running the ball so efficiently against against the Kentucky Wildcats. So, I mean, this was just, I think Vanderbilt, they wanted this game more. I mean, they really wanted this game more. They wanted to be able to continue to potentially make a bowl game. Now, the rest of their schedule is not looking that great because they play Florida next week at home. That'll probably be a loss. And, you know, obviously they'll be out of bowl eligibility. But say they do beat Florida, <laughs> they play against Tennessee the final game of the year, which will be, it, it will be, you know, in Nashville. But, but that... But, I mean, just Hendon Hooker against that Vanderbilt defense. Oh, my gosh. I, anyway, but great win for Vanderbilt. I'm so happy for them that they're finally getting wins. I mean, that's the biggest thing, getting SEC wins. That's something that, that Vanderbilt has not gotten in forever. And the fact they were able to beat a top 25 team, which I don't know how Kentucky got back in the top 25. But the fact that they were able to beat Kentucky is just a huge win for them. As Vanderbilt, they now improved to 4-6. and six. And for Kentucky... They fall to 6-4. and four. I mean, I, not too much to say. I, I don't want to keep ranting. I don't want to keep wasting y'all's time. But just, wow, what a bad loss by the Wildcats. So, anyways, y'all, the final game we're going to talk about. I know this, this episode got a little bit long. I've been kind of ranting. You know, I just came back from Austin. I'm all juiced up after our win. But the final game we want to talk about, and one of just the more, you know, also up there with the Vanderbilt and Kentucky game, one of the more shocking games of the weekend as we had the Arizona Wildcats taking on the 12th-ranked UCLA Bruins, who are still in the neck of it in terms of making the Pac-12 championship. I mean, they're up there with Oregon, Washington, Oregon State. I mean, heck, the Pig-12, the, the, Pig the Pac-12, it's going to get kind of serious in terms of, you know, who's going to be able to be that second team to get in. I mean, right now, USC, they're at 9-1, and one, likely going to be able to get that first spot. So who's going to be able to get that second one to get into the Pac-12 championship game? So, but... um. 
Anyway, going into this game, I think UCLA, heck, even Coach Kelly probably thought, you know, they were going to be 9-1 and after this. They're going up against the Arizona team who was 3-6, and had no reason to be able to compete with them. And, well, Jaden Delora, the former Washington State quarterback, he went off against their defense. I mean, the biggest knock that I've had against UCLA is their defense. I mean, we saw it against Oregon. You know, it, it, it's, not, it's not something that should shock anybody, right? Utah put up a ton of points against them, even though they lost. And Arizona, they did exactly that as well because Jaden Delora would only have six incompletions on the day as he would go 22 for 28, 315 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions as well. And they were also able to run the ball pretty darn well as uh, Arizona running back Wiley would have 21 carries for 97 yards rushing and one touchdown as well to add on top of Jaden Delora having an amazing performance throwing the football. And then for the offense of UCLA, they were they really weren't that bad. They really were not that bad. Uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson could have been better, 26 for 39, 245 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. Uh, but, you know, they really heavily relied on Zach Charbonnet, you know, the former Michigan running back who I personally love and I personally think is right now the top running back in the Pac-12 as he would have 24 carries for 181 yards rushing and three touchdowns in this game against the Arizona Wildcats. But, unfortunately, Zach Charbonnet's efforts would go to waste as the Arizona Wildcats, they would come up clutch in the fourth quarter, putting up 13 points as it would go on to upset the 12th-ranked UCLA Bruins 34-28, as this obviously kills any chance UCLA had at making the playoffs. It also really hurts their chances of making the Pac-12 championship game. So just a good spoiler win by the Arizona Wildcats, because I think it was pretty much about time that, that UCLA, their defense, would really get kind of exposed. And I guess the Arizona team that competed pretty decently against USC a few weeks ago, I mean... They're not a bad team. They got a lot of, you know, building. They have a lot of building pieces. They're not going to be any type of prominent program. That never will happen in football for Arizona. And now that we look over at UCLA, you know, what are they going to do in order to really get ready for next week's game against USC, which is going to be a huge matchup? I mean, if UCLA is able to beat USC, that makes the Pac-12 even more interesting. But if USC, they knock out UCLA in this game, UCLA will pretty much not be able to make the Pac-12 championship game. So a lot is at stake next week in the Battle of L.A. So anyway, guys, thank you all so much for listening to today's recap of all of the college football action from week 11 of the 2022 college football season. Let me know what y'all's personal favorite game was. Mine, you know, a little bit biased, but my personal favorite game had to have been going down to Austin, Texas for the first time and seeing my... TCU Horn Frogs take down the Texas Longhorns and just being a DKR that was a, that was an amazing experience and I'm super grateful that I was able to go down there for the weekend so anyway guys thank y'all so much for all the support that you've shown make sure to like comment share rate do whatever you can to make sure that we continue to spread the cover seven podcast to everybody make sure to tell your mom uncle grandma granny whoever I mean literally whoever Make sure to tell them about the Cover 7 podcast so we can continue to spread the love of football to everybody. Also, guys, I know, I know I'll keep talking about it, but if you can, make sure to check out Anchor.fm's monthly supporter program, which is $4.99 a month. Not expected, not required, anything like that. It just helps me be able to better the quality of the podcast for you beautiful people. So, anyways, y'all, thank y'all so much for checking out today's recap. 
Also, make sure to check out NFL Week 10 Recap, which will be coming out on Tuesday at 12 p.m. Central Time. So, guys, I will see y'all then, and I hope you have an amazing rest of y'all's weekend and an amazing rest of y'all's Sunday. And I'll see y'all beautiful people then. Peace.